since non-member states would soon recognize the upsides of membership and join as soon as they could. And for many years this logic held, as Central and Eastern European countries raced to join the Union after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Eight countries, the Czech Republic, Estonia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Slovakia, and Slovenia became members in 2004. Bulgaria and Romania followed in 2007. Then came the Ukraine crisis. In 2014, the Ukrainian people took to the streets and overthrew their corrupt president, Viktor Yanukovych, after he abruptly canceled a new economic deal with the EU. Immediately afterward, Russia invaded and annexed Crimea, and it soon sent soldiers and artillery into eastern Ukraine, too. The EU's leaders had hoped that economic inducements would inevitably increase the Union's membership and bring peace and prosperity to an ever-larger public. But that dream proved no match for Russia's tanks and so-called little green men. Moscow's gambit was not on its own enough to cripple the EU. But soon another crisis hit, and this one nearly pushed the Union to its breaking point. In 2015, more than a million refugees, nearly half of them fleeing the civil war in Syria, entered Europe. And since then, many more have followed. Early on, several countries, especially Germany and Sweden, proved especially welcoming, and leaders in those states angrily criticized those of their neighbors that tried to keep the migrants out. Last year, after Hungary built a razor-wire fence along its border with Croatia, German Chancellor Angela Merkel condemned the move as reminiscent of the Cold War, and French Foreign Minister Laurent Fabieu said it did not respect Europe's common values. But early this year, many of these same leaders changed their tune and began pressuring Europe's border countries to increase their security measures. In January, several European governments warned Greece that if it did not find a way to stanch the flow of refugees, they would expel it from the Schengen area, a passport-free zone within the EU. Consciously or not, the European politicians advocating open borders have failed to prioritize their own citizens over foreigners. These leaders' intentions may be noble, but if a state fails to limit its protection to a particular group of people, its nationals, its government risks losing legitimacy. Indeed, the main measure of a country's success is how well it can secure its people and borders from external threats, be they hostile neighbors, terrorism, or mass migration. On this score, the EU and its proponents are failing. And voters have noticed. The British people issued a strong rebuke to the bloc in June, when they voted to leave the EU by a margin of 52% to 48% ignoring warnings from the International Monetary Fund, the Bank of England, and the United Kingdom's Treasury that doing so would wreak economic disaster. In France, according to a recent Pew survey, 61% of the population holds unfavorable views of the EU. In Greece, 71% of the population shares these views. Back when Europe faced no pressing security threats, As was the case for most of the last two decades, EU members could afford to pursue more high-minded objectives, such as dissolving borders within the Union. 
Now that dangers have returned, however, and the EU has shown that it is incapable of dealing with them, Europe's national leaders must fulfill their most basic duty, defending their own. Back to basics. The EU's architects created a head without a body. They built a unified political and administrative bureaucracy, but not a united European nation. The EU aspired to transcend nation-states, but its fatal flaw has been its consistent failure to recognize the persistence of national differences and the importance of addressing threats on its frontiers. One consequence of this oversight has been the rise of political parties that aim to restore national autonomy, often by appealing to far-right, populist, and sometimes xenophobic sentiments. In 2014, the U.